Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Mailbag part duh. We had to end 2020 with something different as we get to 2021 and we think back to what a year it's been. We've done a mailbag episode at the end of each month, but in December, we're doing twice. Why not, right? You guys have such great questions. Here's what you do. You go on Apple, you rate and review nothing personal. You've done a great job of that this year, and I'm very appreciative. Ask some questions in your reviews that you write. And I'll try to get to them at the end of the month. Sometimes I use those questions during the course of a show in the So You Want to Talk to Samson. Sometimes I take So You Want to Talk to Samson and put those in the mailbag. Basically, whatever we think will be the most fun for you and, of course, for us. So let's get right to it because this is the last show of 2020. Of course, there could be something bonus if something crazy happens. But we got to get right to it. So... I like when questions start with so. I'm not sure why they need to start with so. So you're both a former sports executive and a movie buff. So tell me, if you could pitch a movie about any player or situation you've been a part of, what movie would you pitch and why? I'm about to pitch you a movie. This is a movie about a young boy living in Cuba. A young boy struggling under the dictatorship that is Fidel Castro, a young boy who realizes when he picks up a baseball that he has a gift in his right arm, the likes of which are not often seen even on the island of Cuba. A mother who so desperately wants to get the young boy out of Cuba, away from the dictatorship, to the land of the free, the home of the brave, where it's possible to play baseball, to get an education, to have a life of freedom. A young boy and his mom who set off on a boat to freedom. And on that boat, there's an accident where the mother ends up falling overboard and the son, as a teenager, dives over the boat into the water, saves the drowning passenger who turns out to be his mother. The young boy who had tried unsuccessfully with his mother to escape this island of terror and spend time behind bars. The young boy and the mother end up in Tampa, Florida, enroll him in high school. Turns out that he can pitch. Turns out that he's going to be drafted by a major league team. Quietly, the local major league team located in Miami, where so many Cubans have found a better life a free life, a safe life, a prosperous life. A baseball team goes to the high school very quietly, looks at Jose Fernandez. That's the name of the boy. Looks at Jose Fernandez and says, we may draft you, but we're never going to look at you again. You're never going to see us. No one's going to know that the Marlins are interested in you. You're going to wonder why wouldn't the Miami baseball team have an interest And the reason is because we're going to draft you and we're not going to tell anyone, anyone at all. All the publications are saying, who are the Marlins drafting? None of them are suspecting we're drafting this player. The day the draft comes, the name is announced. The Miami Marlins select Jose Fernandez. We know right away that we've got a special player we know we have an opportunity for that player to come home again. But we find out that there's more to the story. We find out that this player was also raised and loved by his grandmother who cannot get out of Cuba, who's there unable because of the laws and the dictatorship that exists to make it to the United States. We learn that the grandmother who he loves so much has never seen him play professional baseball. 
We have an owner of a team who sees that this is the case and wants to provide a family reunion and speaks to people in Washington, D.C., politicians all the way up to and including the White House and finds a way to have a reunion between Jose Fernandez and his grandmother, of course, on tape. He sees her for the first time and the look on his face when she sees him for the first time, the look on her face. It's something that you will never forget as an audience. You watch the pitcher grow into an all-star. You see the pitcher become a major leaguer, hit his first home run, win his first game, dominate. You see a pitcher who is about to bring a World Series home to his city for his people, a love of the game, the likes of which you never see. And then he dies. It's a true story. Be a hell of a movie. One of the things about Jose Fernandez that I've always wanted to make sure is that his story would never be forgotten. It's a story that I tell whenever I can. Jose Fernandez died because of the freedom he felt, the invincibility he felt, what he had been through, what I've told you on this show, and I've said it right after he died. And in the years since, it's over 40 years now since Jose passed away. The update on the Jose Fernandez story would be that he has a daughter, Penelope, who's growing into an incredible woman because of his amazing mother, Maria. A young girl who has a chance in America, born here, a family who is still reeling from the loss of their son and grandson, a person who will never be forgotten, people who he impacted. (laughs) You know, if you think about it, actually, there are some people whose legacies live forever. Jose Fernandez is one of them. I guess I'd write the movie and I'd pitch it and every studio would take it. And the reason why it's got all the elements of a Hollywood movie where people leave and say, is that based on a true story? Let me go fact V fiction. Let me try to figure out what actually happened versus what didn't happen. You ever done that after you see a movie based on a true story? Oliver Stone's JFK. Not exactly how it happened. Based on actual events, they say, well, we could put a movie together that is all true. All events that I saw, was a part of, spoke to him about, learned from him about. And of course, it has to have the ending that it had. So thank you for that question. I actually don't want you to in any way feel that you asked a question that would elicit and a response that would make me sad. When I think about Jose, I don't get sad as much as I smile. There's been sort of an inflection point where the sadness was overwhelming for so long. I still think about him every day. I have a picture of him that I look at, and I obviously will always be in touch with Penelope because of the generosity of of Jeffrey Loria, who had such a fondness for Jose and said that he would always take care of Penelope, and Penelope's will be taken care of. But the thing that I think about with Jose is his smile, and that's the picture I look at the most. I choose now to remember the great moments that I had and not the the guilt that I feel over what happened to him, the guilt that I could have done more, the guilt that I could have prevented it, the thought of that day. I still think about that day, but I really try to think more about the positive and the impact he had on so many people of every age. It's amazing. So thank you for that question. That was a good question. Let's pitch that movie. That'd be a real one. I wonder who would play Jose Fernandez. I know who would play me. I want to say maybe could Tobey Maguire maybe play me if I were in the movie? What do you think? I think there's a chance. All right, on to the next question. We're going to stay with the movie theme, I think, on this question. I'm a big music fan for movies and would like to ask you, what are your top five film scores? That's great. Thank you, because I had not made a list of my top five film scores. So the way I came up with my list is I went through my top 100 list. Then I went through Oscar winners for the past 25 years or so. And I started thinking about in order to be in my top five, it has to be scores that are memorable, scores that if you play them 
everyone will know the exact movie that the score has to is related to. And I can hum them in the shower. That's the, my criteria. Here we go. Ready? Number five. We're going to go up. Star Wars. The theme from Star Wars, the score from all the Star Wars movie. But I got to get to number four. James Bond. James Bond has that score when you just know it's, it's, oh God, this is so perfect that this is happening during Nothing Personal Mailbag episode, right? Because in my head, I'm thinking of the James Bond music and I'm thinking of Maude Adams from Octopussy and I'm thinking of View to a Kill and all the other ones and I'm thinking of of the movie and I can't sing the score right now. And Coke is like whispering, don, 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 a, don, a, a. That's not it, Coca. But it is James Bond. <laughs> Number three. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 It is not safe to swim in the ocean. It's Jaws. Number two. Titanic. Now, I agree that some people think the movie is syrupy. Some people think the Celine Dion song, My Heart Will Go On, is too much, but not for me. I don't understand why she didn't share the door that was floating in the water with Jack. Why Rose did that. I understand why they didn't keep switching spaces. I don't understand why they didn't build a raft with a bunch of preservers from people who are already dead. There were all sorts of things that she could have done before letting go. Don't ever let go. I won't ever let go. And the number one score, theme music of all time for me. Na, 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 na. How are we doing on copyright, Coca? Na, 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 na. We getting a letter of CBS pissed? Na, 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 na. It's Jurassic Park. I mean, when John Williams does a score, you just know there's a decent chance it's going to be good. But at the end of the movie of Jurassic Park 1, which is obviously the best Jurassic Park by far, when they're taking the helicopter off the island and the kids are asleep, one of them's leaning on Ed Neal. Uh, his name is not Ed Neal. Ed, Ed O'Neill is the guy from Married with Children, but it's another guy named Neal. Sam Neal could be his name, or maybe his movie in the name in the movie was Sam, but it could be Sam Neal. And Laura Dern, and they're flying away from the island, and Jeff Goldblum is there, and the kids are asleep, and then there are dinosaurs flying next to the chopper, showing that they're going to spread off the island Na, 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 Those are them. Now, Coca's telling me he's going to publish stuff for me. He's saying he can't publish my top 100 movies, top 10 books or 15 books, top 10 or 15 TV shows until I give him the list. Can you imagine? Do you ever work with people when they're supposed to do something? They don't do it. They procrastinated. Then they forgot that it was supposed to be done. And then they say, how can I do it when I don't have the information? When you knew they used to have the information when you first asked them to do it? That's where you are right now, Coca. You've got every list. Do you not produce every single one of the Nothing Personal episodes since we started? You know, Nothing Personal was named by Coca, right? I've got it. Nothing Personal. Okay, next question. This is a pretty controversial question, but I wanted to put it in the show. With the release of the latest MLB Hall of Fame ballot comes another push for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens to be included. In short, no reason to say in short, because either it's short or it's not. To make a long story short, it's too late. If you're saying that, you're making the story longer. To make a short story long, I worked with a guy, his name is Brendan with the Marlins, and he would always say that. To make a short story long, well, okay, thank you. In short, would you vote either gentleman in, or do you still cling to the fact that their supposed use of PEDs automatically disqualifies them? Would love to hear your thoughts. Let's talk about steroids in the Hall of Fame. First of all, the question is wrong in one way. It's not supposed. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens did steroids. They took performance-enhancing drugs, period. Roger Clemens blamed his wife that all the steroids that were sent and all the shots that were given were all shots for his wife, not for him. It's very nice of his wife to try to take the heat. Didn't work. Barry Bonds denied it, except 
I can only tell you for a fact that it's not the case. It is what it is. Ironically, Roger Clemens was a Hall of Famer before steroids. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before steroids. That's the crux of my problem. What do you do with players who are Hall of Famers and then their career is cut short? They're Hall of Famers. You vote them into the Hall of Fame. What do you do with players who are on a Hall of Fame trajectory, but their career was cut short? Don Mattingly. He is certainly on his way to the Hall of Fame. Back injuries, didn't have enough bulk, hasn't made it, did not make it into the Hall of Fame. What do you do with players who are on the Hall of Fame trajectory? Their career doesn't end because of injury. It doesn't end because of early retirement. They don't become crappy later on, ruining their Hall of Fame chances. So let's talk about maybe Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera is a first ballot Hall of Famer no matter what he does because he's had enough years of greatness that later in his career when he's making way too much money for the Tigers, totally hamstringing them, no chance to win. The Hall of Fame voters will not say, wow, he sucked at the end. He's not a Hall of Famer. No, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's got the career. Robinson Cano, Hall of Fame career, caught for steroids, says he's got diarrhea, plays again, gets caught again, Done. Not much question. When you get caught twice and you test positive twice, given what is in play now and the system that exists for testing for PEDs, in my opinion, you are done with the Hall of Fame. In the era of Clemens and Bonds is the era of Pudge. Is Pudge in the Hall of Fame, Coca? Yvonne Pudge Rodriguez? Marlin for a year, World Series champion, then played for the Tigers, long career with the Texas Rangers. I'll bet you a dollar he's in the Hall of Fame. Now, why is Pudge Rodriguez in the Hall of Fame? Because he had a career that had enough bulk. He was suspected of doing steroids, but he never actually vociferously lied. He just decided, I'm not really going to talk about it. Let there be a question like there is with Mike Piazza. Bring me into the Hall of Fame because I'm a Hall of Famer. What Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds did is they took the opportunity to outright deceive the way Alex Rodriguez has. Alex Rodriguez is a Hall of Famer. He then lied. Forget the fact that he's reincarnated his career. He flat out lied. I did not and do not do steroids. He Lance Armstronged it. And then he tried to say, ah, yeah, sorry. I want another career. I'm going to date Jennifer Lopez. We're going to get engaged. I'm going to get back into good graces with MLB because that's my best chance at the Hall of Fame. So he is at a level where he's one step above Bonds and Clemens, who to this day will not admit what they did publicly. All they have to do is say, I was trying to keep up. I have an ego. I saw around me other players doing it, and it doesn't make it right, but I decided that I needed to do it because I wanted to maintain the difference between me and the rest of the league, and they were catching up to me. A little mea culpa. That's all it would take to get my vote into the Hall of Fame. But where I stand now is that I wouldn't do it. And the reason I wouldn't invite them into the Hall of Fame is that I don't want any kids to think that that's the approach. I want kids to know that people make mistakes. I want kids to know that in the sort of under the umbrella of competitiveness, people sometimes walk over the line. I want children to know that where the line is can sometimes be fuzzy. I want children to know that there are consequences for actions. I want children to know that their actions matter, not just to themselves, but to their family, to their friends, to their teammates. That is the genesis of team sports. What you do has an impact. And we talk about this on Nothing Personal all the time. What you do as a member of a team impacts your entire team. I'm thinking back to that story we told a few weeks ago about that high school football player who attacked the referee and his whole high school team got thrown out of the high school playoffs. That's how it goes. 
what Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds did impacted the sport of baseball negatively. There's plenty of people who have used steroids who have gotten caught who are mentioned in the Blue Ribbon Report, who tested positive, who said, yes, I was wrong. I was trying to heal faster. I was trying to get faster. I was trying to stay faster. People want to give forgiveness, but they'll only give it when asked. Where are you, Roger? Where are you, Barry? Do a small bit of genuflecting, just a small bit, and you may have a chance. But as of now, not for me. Thank you for that question. I like that one. Okay, next question. I'm going to get to him. Oh, we got a lot more to go. Hey, David. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? There's a big UFC card tonight at AT&T Stadium in Dallas. What is Jerry Jones doing on a night like this? Is there anything an owner doesn't like about hosting secondary events in their stadium, like concerts and fights? We'd love to hear a story from your time with the Marlins where something bad or memorable happened at the stadium when you were there for a non-baseball event. So I got to tell you a story. This is a story about our owner, Jeffrey Loria, whose main focus as the other 29 owners' main focus is winning. Not losing money, if possible, but winning games, winning rings. What I found to be interesting is that my job was to speak to the owner on a daily basis every day for 18 years and say, listen, here's where we are financially. I didn't have to tell him where we were as a team on the field because he knew every day, every inning, every game, every at-bat. Here's where we are with our projected revenue. Here's where we are with our projected expenses. Here's what we're going to need from you and when. We're going to need $8 million on May 21st. We're going to need $7 million in July. You'll get some of that back when revenue sharing pays at the end of the season. Then we'll need a few million dollars for off-season. So I would have a flow of funds. He would then go through and say, well, can we increase revenue? And we'd say, well, we actually have a revenue item, which is called ballpark event revenue. Ballpark event revenue is non-game ballpark event revenue. It's getting events. It's selling out a night at the park, having a chamber of commerce dinner on the field, having a concert, having a Joel Osteen come and do a service, having any sort of non-baseball Marlins related event. So World Baseball Classic would count, which is why we'd always bid for the World Baseball Classic. Here's a hint. We wanted the World Baseball Classic in Miami because A, it's fun to host. You get to meet players from different teams. You get to bring in huge crowds with great environment, but you make money. And that counts as non-game day revenue. So I would go to Jeffrey and say, hey, we have a chance to get a concert as an example. And he would say, when? And we would say, well, it's during the season. And he would say, ah, I don't know if that's a good idea. How much time will they need to set up? How much time to break down? And what will be the impact of the field? And the reason he would ask the impact on the field is that there are two things that owners like, in addition to money and winning. They like their ballpark to look good. And I don't blame them. I would be all over our groundskeeper and our head of stadium operations, who, by the way, is retiring this year. His name is Claude Delorme. I worked with him from 1999 to 2017 with a few-year break when he stayed with the Expos when we left the Expos. So we actually did not have an opportunity to win a World Series. And we say he's retiring now, but that's code word for Jeter did not give him a new contract once his contract ran out that we had signed him to. Wow, that's sort of like him and Mike Hill and the CFO, Michelle Boussière, as well. So I'd go to Claude Delorme and I'd say, tell me, what's going to happen with the fields? And he would say, well, David, I'm not going to lie to you. The field's going to get pretty beaten up. We can do some resodding, but you're going to see where the stage is, 
you're going to see patches when you walk the field and the players aren't going to be happy. And I would say, all right, doesn't matter to me. Tell the players to wear a cup and wear a mouth guard and they'll be fine. Why do I say cup and mouth guard? The reason I do is that when an outfield is not in good shape or an infield is not good shape, it leads to untrue hops, they're called. That's when a, a ground ball is going and all of a sudden it skips one way or the other and you can get doinked in the face or doinked in the head or doinked in the, you know, the jewels. So I would say, hey, just wear, wear a mouth guard and wear a cup and hope for the best. Get your body in front of it. What's the word, by the way, on a side note? This is not in the mailbag. There's something when you're in baseball, there's only one thing you never want to see during a game. I don't mean in between innings. I mean during a game. What is the one thing during a baseball game you don't want to see? An outfielder's ass. Think about that for a minute. Coca, marinate on that. When would you ever see an outfielder's tushy? Any idea, Coca? Come on, whisper it to me. When would you? No idea? All right. Do you give up? Hello? Coca? Damn it. Hello? Okay, it's the mailbag episode. It's the last show of 2021, of 2020. This is it. It's the final show. Can you not give me 19 more minutes of your time? Okay, I guess not. I guess he may have had prunes for breakfast. So what you never want to see is the outfielder's butt because that means the ball got by him and he's running back to the wall to retrieve the ball. So there you go. So we're sitting up in the suite with the GM and that we always laugh like, oh, my God, look at his ass. And we're not doing it in any sort of sexual way. We're just saying, oh, Christ, it got by him. So when the field is not true, that can happen. So we would say to the owner, listen, the field's not going to look great. It's going to be beaten up. And I don't really like it. Why don't you decide and think about whether or not you want to allow it? So he would then speak to the manager and the GM and the players. And they would say, no way, no way, no way, no way. And we'd say, okay, so what do you think, Jeffrey? He'd say, no way. And we'd say, all right, you say no way, but let me flash the following in front of you. How about a two and a seven and a five and three zeros? I'm just going to flash it right out there. If I can put 275 grand in your pocket, is it worth it? What about 525 grand? What's the number? Listen, Robert Redford. Listen, Woody Harrelson and Demi Moore. What's the number? Don't tell me that you're not for sale. Just tell me the number. Let's negotiate. Jeffrey, we can get Beyonce. How about Guns N' Roses? We can get them. Here's the number. Guess what? We had Beyonce. We had Guns N' Roses. After the game, so you go to the concert. And it's, it's great because people are there who otherwise would not have been, been at your ballpark. They may not be Marlins fans. And you have to figure out how to take care of the entertainers and what they need. And they make players. Entertainers are generally way more prima donna than players are. They need, they need certain things. I, I know you've heard this before, but you know, someone like a Bon Jovi needs a certain kind of water, a certain kind of couch, a certain color of a couch. Um, Guns and Roses need certain things in their room. They need certain alcohol at this time at that time. And they need to get to the stage this way in this order through this way, Beyonce, whatever. Everyone needs something, right? That's just how it is. They're called riders. They're riders in a contract that you sign with an entertainment with a someone who has a concert or even Joel Osteen. He had a, enough riders that you could build an amusement park. And so you just go through, you negotiate, and you end up giving in because what do you care if you have to get Fiji water instead of aqua Fina water? Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever. So you go to these events, and you watch the stage being built, and you try to make sure the grass is being taken care of, but you know very well that you're totally screwed. So when I think about Jerry Jones and what he's doing when his ballpark is being used and his stadium is being used. He knows how much money he's making. He's pleased that AT&T is actually an event, a venue for an eclectic group of events. And what owners don't like about it is the work after, the work before, but they love the actual event. 
They love seeing what they've created, what they've built. They love seeing people entertained at their ballpark. And there's a moment during each event where even an owner forgets about the impact on the field, forgets about the impact and the players being upset and the manager and the GM. And there's a moment when they're looking out and they say, wow, what we have done by having this ballpark built, where we've had it built is we have enabled more people to make memories. So I'm all in for non-state, for non-baseball events. I think they're critical and they're also critical for the budget. And of course, the other great part about Marlins Park is guess who gets to keep the money from all the non-baseball events? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Marlins, I don't know where the city and the county were during that negotiation. I mean, they were at the table, but I, I don't think they realized that we'd have an opportunity to make some, some serious cash doing that. Okay. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hmm. There's a Formula One fan who listens to the show, Coca? Outstanding. I'm a Formula One fan. One of the Haas team drivers posted a video of himself groping a young woman in the back of his car. He has been hired to drive because his father is rich and brings in millions of dollars to the team. At what point as a team president or a business leader, should you forget the money and fire an employee for being amoral or putting a stain on the organization? <sighs> I put this question in at the end of 2020 because I think it's an important point. And what you're really asking is, when do you say that your moral compass is such that money no longer matters? And this entire show is about business. You know it's nothing personal. No, no, that's not the end of the show, Coco. Don't stop recording. I still have like 14 minutes left. Hello? You know that when I'm evaluating a deal, I am looking first and foremost at the business side of the deal. I am trying when I can to lead by example, to show people that money can be made by doing it with nice people versus not nice people, with moral people versus amoral people, with people who are fun to be around versus people who are grumpy angry, miserable wretches. But at the end, I choose talent and I choose profit. But then you shoot a word in your question about morality and staying on the organization. And I don't use the word morality because I instead want to talk about criminality. 
criminality for me is the line that I will only cross for the best players on the team. When I ran the team, I used to say, hey, if you get caught with DUI, you're in trouble. We're going to release you. But what I meant was, if you suck, we're going to release you. And if not, you're going to get a spanking. You're going to get a private car service. And you're going to still be on the team. When it comes to assault. And I've had that too, sexual assault. Then I say, you're innocent till proven guilty unless you suck, in which case you're released. But if you're good, we're going to say you're innocent till proven guilty. And then we will help you fight the charges. And if you're convicted, that's going to be a bridge too far. But if you're not, the bridge continues. So unfortunately, I have to admit that when it comes to my view of when enough is enough, I do take into account talent, I do take into account relationship, and I do take into account what the underlying issue is. Now, let's take one that's not a fun topic, pedophilia. If you're charged with underage porn, I'm not sure I care if you're the best player on the team. Actually, I am sure. If you're the best player on the team, you're released. So I guess the answer is everyone has a line. Domestic violence. You hit your wife. I don't care if she doesn't press charges. You're gone. You get in a fight with your teammate. If you're good, you stay. I could go line by line if you want. Event by event. Accusation by accusation. And you're going to ask me, do I have a routine? Do I have a line? Like yesterday's mailbag where we talked about my routine. Is there something set in stone where my moral compass will say, no matter what, I will do X or Y? Well, above all, you know, never say never. And if you're never going to say never, you have to have the flexibility to examine each individual situation and then be able to look yourself in the mirror and figure out where you stand at that particular moment, knowing that people are watching, knowing that people are following what you're doing every step of the way. You said here that he was groping a young woman in the back of his car. I don't know what groping is. I know to me what groping is, but I don't know from a criminal standpoint what groping is. I don't know exactly the facts of that case. But there are always points where a team president has to forget the money. There are always points where someone gets fired. There are always points where you say that person is no longer showing our organization in a good light. But don't let anyone fool you, please, and tell you that it's cut and dry. Because whether you're me or any other president of the team or any other business leader, money and business are always part of the equation. Well, here we are as we wind up 2020. We've spent some time talking about what happened this year. I told you in a show this week to watch Death to 2020, to use New Year's Eve, which is coming up on December 31st. I don't know what day of the week that is. Today is Thursday, so it's today is the, I don't know what today is, the 31st. So it's tonight, I guess. And I always try to think about the year past, the year forward, things that I'm going to try to do better. I've got, as you know, many issues. I do so many things wrong. My instincts are so wrong in so many instances when it comes to personal relationships, when it comes to how to act in certain places, never from a business standpoint. I always told you that I knew what's around the corner in business. I have such a blind spot personally about what's around the corner, but in business, I can see around the corner and tell you exactly what's going to happen. Personally, it's much, much harder. But the new year is the time for resolutions. The new year is the time where gyms get the most new members. New year is the time 
where people say, this year, it'll be different. And then the end of the year is the reflection on all of the things that you said you would do that you didn't and you feel like crap about it, but you get a renewal because you get to say, next year, I'm going to do it. So we call it New Year's resolutions. There's some people who give up early and they say, you know what? I'm not even going to make New Year's resolutions because all I do is break them and it's totally depressing to break them. So if I don't make them, I can't break them. Well, I'm going to give you my 10 New Year's resolutions. And I assure you that when I make resolutions, I will follow through. So here they are. The first resolution I will make, and these are in no particular order. The way I do um, when I answer your mailbag questions, when I'm asked uh, a general question like, tell me a story, I will look at the question that you've put either on Apple or that you've tweeted at me at David P. Sampson, and I will put them down and I'll think about what I'm going to say. But up to recording, I could change my mind and whatever tangent my sort of brain goes to. That's the beauty for me of nothing personal and what I hope you've enjoyed over the last year plus. But when it comes to resolutions, that's a list. And the way I do the lists when I'm doing a top 100 or a top 20 is that I do, I write down all the possibilities, then I cut it down and then I order it like top five Tom Cruise movies or Gene Hack movies. I'll write down every movie and then I'll switch it around and I'll come up with my top five like film scores, which we did uh, today. But with New Year's resolutions, the way I did it is I wrote down 10 things in the order in which they just came to my head. Number one, I am going to run at least three marathons this year. I ran way more than three last year, even during COVID when all races had been shut down. I did virtual marathons. I would just go out and run 26.2. And running for me makes me feel good. Some of the best ideas I had in baseball, in business, for nothing personal. I have ideas all the time when I run. I run with music as background. I always have it low because I want to hear traffic, et cetera. I always want to hear what's about to hit me. But I also keep it as background because I want to think about things So many issues I have are solved during runs. I'm going to run at least three marathons. Two, one of the best parts of last year, and it's so horrible to say this because COVID and all the nightmare that was 2020, but one of the best things that we did here on Nothing Personal is when we grew our beards, me and Coca, and we decided that we were going to give away $1,000 a day for 100 days to 100 different organizations. I now get hundreds of emails from each of those organizations. And I've always talked to you about charity and how important it is and how I was taught charity, how you're not born with it. You have to be taught it and how I'm trying to teach it to my kids and to everyone. I'm going to find at least three new charities to support this year that I had never heard of, much like many in the top 100 for the 100 days that we did back during COVID when baseball wasn't being played between March and July. But I'm going to find three new charities. People ask, am I ever going to grow the beard back? I don't like shaving. I am committed that I will shave under 52 times this year. I am resolved to that, just like I'm not going to wear a tie at all, not one time this year. But a resolution is, that I will shave under 52 times so I cannot worry about breaking out and rashes and things that happen after I shave and the anxiety of when you feel the underground pimple coming and you know it's coming, you don't want it to come. You put all sorts of medicine on it. You go to the drugstore, you do a flick like uh, Campbell Scott did in the movie Singles when he thought he had impregnated Kira Sedgwick, who's Kevin Bacon's wife in real life. And they basically took everything off the shelf. They went to check out Jeremy Piven, from Serendipity and Ari from Entourage was the checkout guy. And he starts singing, what's so funny about peace, 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 love and understanding. Yeah, I do that after I shave. I'm going to shave under 52 times, Coca. My fourth resolution is one that I am, uh, it's harder for me to deal with, but I'm going to do it. I went to thousands of baseball games 
during my career. And I have not been to one baseball game since Jeter shit canned me. Not one. 2021, I'm going to find my love again and remind myself what it is to be a fan. I'm going to go to my first Major League Baseball game in 2021. Next, I get a lot of criticism over my eating habits. Yes, I'm always, um, I've got body dysmorphia. I've told you all that. I do. I admit that. I work on it every day professionally um, with people who know how to work with, with, with people who are like that. It is a horrible thing to have. I think I'm overweight at all times. I feel different parts of my body that uh, feel fat to me at all times. I spend all day covering up my stomach. So whenever you see me, my sort of hands are over my stomach. But on the other hand, I'm a candy addict, which you know. So I will single-handedly keep good and plenty in candy corn in business because for whatever reason, I get made fun of for loving good and plenty in candy corn. But by the way, if it's in every store I go to, am I really the only guy who likes good and plenty in candy corn? Don't think so. But what do you do to counteract eating all the candy I eat? I commit that I'm going to do 12 juice cleanses, one per month. A juice cleanse is when you get rid of the toxins. And believe me, do you hear them? Those are the toxins that sometimes come to the front. They come out of the pores. I'm going to do 12 juice cleanses. I'm not going to say Coke is going to do it with me, but maybe he will. My next New Year's resolution is that my son starts college next year and I am not handy at all. I can't put anything together when I buy stuff off of Amazon that can't be put together. For example, a coat rack, let's say, where it can be put together where they say assembly time, four minutes. It takes me between 65 and 75 minutes and then I give up and don't do it. But I am resolving as a New Year's resolution that when my son moves to college and God willing, everyone will be vaccinated and he will be able to be on campus in September. I'm going to assemble something. You heard it here first. It may be something simple like a nightstand or a dresser drawer or maybe a lamp or maybe putting a light bulb in a lamp, but I will assemble something. I'm also going to do something I've never done. I'm not a cook. I don't bake. I don't do anything like that. I make tuna fish. I make French toast. I make great eggs, by the way. But what I want to do this year is something I've never done. I want to bake a cake. So I'm going to bake a cake. Okay. The second to last New Year's resolution I have is strange for someone who's got my level of, of OCD. I don't really like touching people or being touched by people, which is ironic because of all the hands I used to shake, even though I would try to do the Howie Mandel fist bump. I'm a hugger and COVID and people know this people who are my friends. I hug. Hello. I hug. Goodbye. I like hugging this year when it's safe. I resolve as a new year's resolution that I'm going to hug a perfect stranger and I'm going to do it with no warning. And I'm going to make sure that there's no concomitant arrest warrant that comes with it. But just out of nowhere, I'm going to hug a perfect stranger. And because what that means is that right now, where my feeling is, I don't want to be near anybody, been absolutely quarantined for months on end, atrophying socially, atrophying physically. We're all atrophying intellectually. But at some point during 2021, we are going to be able to go places and see people, be around strangers be able to have conversations with people we don't know again, be able to walk by people on the street without feeling, are they getting me COVID? Did they just cough? Was that a fart or a cough or a sneeze? What was that? There will be a time during this year and I'm going to find a stranger and I'm just going to give him, her, or them a hug. And my final New Year's resolution is I'm going to recognize how lucky I am and how lucky Coca is that we are able to be with you every day doing nothing personal, where for 45 minutes you have shown a loyalty where you give me your time and you know I do not take that for granted. I can't say it enough. I'm going to say it all the time. 
you have so many choices with what to do with your time because time is the one thing you don't control and can never get more of. And yet in numbers that we and CBS and our agent and other platforms and networks had never dreamed of, you have become part of the nothing personal family. And I resolve is that we're going to keep nothing personal with David Sampson going and that Coke and I will work every day to educate, to inform, to make you smile, to make you cringe, to make you laugh, never give you a load of BS, tell you the way things are. Make sure that when you're done listening, you may be a little smarter than you were or in a position to make a judgment about what you think about a certain issue, whether it's baseball or business or sports or politics or entertainment. And you will always know at the end of every day, it's just business. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year. This is nothing personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com